Great. What a joy to be with you. I'm excited about this time together. I will say that I, I won't be obnoxious and be like, all right, let's all move right now. But do me a favor. In the next session, let's consolidate. Let's act like we love each other. You probably do, but you're not acting like it. That's all I'm saying. So let's act like we love each other. And let's all sit like together. And uh, like it, it doesn't mean like mm, on top of each other, but like, you know, first four rows kind of thing. I really don't like empty chairs. Like my, my precious brother, and I know like he's, he's recording Facebook Live here. I want to stay here, but here's the thing. You're back there. So this makes it difficult for me because you'll be tempted to think I'm not going to be in your face. I'm going to be in your face because I'm talking to you like a living room. We're discussing things together. We're in the Word of God together. We came here to be changed. You didn't come here to hear a sermon, hear a normal message. We came here to hear from the Lord. I came here to hear from the Lord. And because of that, I don't look out at you all as like an audience. You're my friends. You're my family in Jesus Christ. And I don't want us to stay the same. And that's why I can't stay behind a podium, a pulpit, because I didn't come here to preach. We came here to learn of Him, to know Him, to love Him, and to be changed by Him. And so, all that to say is, let's be close together next time. So, um, yeah, we, we don't have to go all over, but that's okay, we will for this time. Let's open in prayer, and we're going to dive into the Word of God, and I pray that He will do amazing things in our midst this morning and early afternoon. Father in heaven, we come before you acknowledging you. without you we can do nothing. I didn't come here, Lord, you know my heart, I, I did not come here because, oh wow, um, I get to preach the Word. No, I came here because I want to be changed by the Word. I came here because I want you to do what I can't do. I came here because I need what you can give. And I came here because you love your bride. You gave yourself for her. And you want to change her more and more into your likeness. And so because you think so highly of her, then I do too. And I pray that you would do what you want to do. And God, I also pray that if I say anything which is not directed by your Holy Spirit, that you would have mercy on all of us and you would wipe what's being said out of our minds. But what is from you, may it be so heavy on our hearts that we have to be changed for the sake of your glory alone. And I ask one thing, when we leave those doors in the back in just a few minutes, a couple hours, whatever it is, that Jesus would get all the glory and that we would all treasure him more. So I pray this in your precious name and in your name alone, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It definitely completely 100% changed in the last seven minutes. Um, you say, well, then why do you have your notebook? This is not really my notebook. These guys know it's just like my little daily journal thing. So this is not notes for this morning. Um, you're blessed because of that. Because if these were notes, it would take us days to get through them. It's just uh, a couple passages I, I jotted down a few minutes ago. I'll start off with an illustration that I think will bring everything to light of what we're going to discuss today. At least what I think we're going to discuss today now. There's one word that's on my mind, and that word is the word value value. Last night I was speaking over in Homestead and, and spoke on perspective, seeing the world as God sees the world. But today I want to focus on this word value, if you're taking notes, because 
I believe there's two sides to it. One is that we don't value the world around us as God values it because we don't see the world the way God sees the world and specifically souls. And then two, our relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't value him as we could because we don't see him as we ought. And I don't say that as criticism. I say that to myself in honesty, saying that if I recognized the treasure that Jesus Christ is, then I know I would treasure him more. Can we agree with that? I think we would. And so uh, when it comes down to it, and even this morning, uh, us guys were talking, this is Noah and this is David, and we tra- we're traveling together this summer. There'll be six more guys joining us um, in the next few weeks as well. And when we travel, we share life together. And one thing about sharing life is you share your vulnerabilities and you share uh, your weaknesses. You don't share them because you want to share them. You share them because you're living life together. And they come out. And one thing, though, that keeps coming back to our hearts and minds and this morning we were discussing is that when you think of sin in your life, for instance, I can take, uh, I can take lust, I can take uh, lying, I can take covetousness, I can take uh, complaining, whatever it is. When I see sin in my life, the issue is not the sin. The issue is a love problem. Because if I love Jesus Christ as I ought, then the sin will be seen in the light for which it is. And you see, what's going to drive sin out of my life is not going to be by trying harder. It's going to be by knowing him more, treasuring him more. And ultimately, it's going to be the desire to enjoy his love that will prompt me to change. And it puts a whole different spin on things because it's not a life of, oh man, I can't do that, I can't do that. It's no, I have a treasure and I want to enjoy that treasure more daily. And so how do we do that? Well, I hope this morning and this afternoon is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to discover more of the treasure. But I want to start maybe where we shouldn't start, but I'm going to start there anyway. I'm going to start with what God sees when he sees you, when he sees me. Because I believe that the only way you'll know how to love God is by knowing his love for you. In other words, the problem is not that you don't love God enough. The problem is you don't understand his love enough because his love will bring out your love. Does that make sense? I'll give you a story that I share commonly. It happened in Northern Ireland. And there was a young actress... uh, that, that came to me, and she, after, after a conference, a youth conference, and she said, she said, I believe the things you're saying. I believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm a Christian, but here's the problem. I got two problems. One, I don't love Jesus Christ very much. Two, I don't hate my sin very much. And my first response was, ah, that's terrible. Not to her, internally. And it was as though, and I don't know how to explain it, but like this, and if you think it's a little mythical or uh, mystical, I, I apologize, but this is how it happened. It was like the Holy Spirit just kind of pushed pause on life. And you know how like in a movie everything's going on, and then all of a sudden it's like this one person's just like thinking about something, everybody's paused, and they're like dealing with their internal issue, and then it goes back to real life. It was like that. It was like God pushed pause, and he said, Nathan, hang on. Before you answer this, dear girl, let me ask you two questions. Do you love me like you should? And, of course, immediately I was like, Lord, you know I don't love you like I should. He said, okay, question number two. Do you hate your sin like you should? And I said, God, you know I don't hate my sin like I should because if I hated my sin like I should, I wouldn't keep going back to it. 
He said, exactly. My relationship with you is not about how much you love me and it's not about how much you hate your sin. It's about how much I love you and how much I hated your sin. And that's why I went to Calvary to die for you. Now answer the woman. And the issue was not where she was at, but instead it was how little she understood of her Savior's love for her. And that was my problem too. And so I want to start off by telling you what God thinks of when he thinks of you. And I think that's going to change the way we think of him. I want you to go to a passage in Luke chapter 15. You know this chapter very well. We're just going to focus in, though, on one of the three stories that are there. And as you go there, let me uh, tell you another little story that I think will set the scene for everything. I have on my wrist, and some of you know the story because I try to share the story everywhere I go. It's kind of a, a thing of my heart because I believe that uh, God gave the story to tell. Outside of the gospel, it's my favorite story to tell, and you might know why in a few minutes. I wear this bracelet right here. You see it? It's not, it's not very beautiful. It's tied together with dental floss, as you can see, and I have to replace the dental floss about every year. And I'm telling you, I weave it through to make sure this baby doesn't fall off when I'm, uh, when I'm in the ocean or when I'm traveling or doing some, playing a rugby match. Like, I don't want this thing to come off. When I'm at the doctor, I make sure they're not going to cut it off in any kind of surgery. If they are, I'll make sure I get it off first so I can put it back on after. And the thing about it is, even though it's trash to you, you probably wouldn't even pay me five bucks for it. But if you offered me five dollars, I would say no chance. The thing is, you could raise up the ante. You're like, what's ante? It's not an uncle ante kind of thing. Ante is a totally different thing. You could say, I'll give you a hundred bucks. I like her smile anyway. You should not understand ante. I love her smile. It's like gorgeous. See, you could say a hundred bucks and I would say, no, definitely not. You could literally pull out. 10 $100 bills and say, here you go, $1,000 for that bracelet. And I would say, I'm not selling it to you. So all of a sudden, what you know about this bracelet is you don't know much, but what you know is it's valuable to me. But you don't know why it's valuable to me. And the thing is, when God looks at you, he has a value on you that you might not have on yourself. And then he has a value on other souls around you that you might not have put on them. And the problem is we don't see what God sees. Now, you might say, well, why is this bracelet so valuable to you? Well, there's a whole story behind it, and I'm not going to go into the full story right now. I'm going to leave you hanging. In fact, I'm just going to drop it right there and just say, don't ask me later. I'll tell you later. Don't worry. But for right now, just know it's really valuable. You see people around the world, and you put labels on them. You call them Democrats. You call them Republicans. You call them independents, you call them gays, call them lesbians, call them transsexuals and bisexuals, you call them Hindus, you call them Buddhists, you call them Christians, you call them brethren, you call them Pentecostals, you call them terrorists. You call people by labels every day, but when you slap a label on someone, you miss the soul. Because when you put a label on someone, you put them in a category or in a group. And you miss a soul for which Jesus Christ died. And I want you to see that's not how Christ sees us. So in Luke chapter 15, we're going to read verses 8 through 10. But as we read verses 8 through 10, I want to start in 1 and 2 to have some context. So let's start in verse 1. 
It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And this is where we have the problem in the passage. We've got two categories, if I can say, of, um, of, of individuals that came that day, labels like we talked about. And these labels are the religious people and the non-religious people. And those two categories are broken down into two other categories. We have the scribes and the Pharisees, and over here, we have the sinners and the tax collectors. Now, before we're harsh on the scribes and the Pharisees, you've got to understand that there's a reason they think the way they think. And let me say, there's a reason you think the way you think, and I think the way I think, because our world has bred us to think a certain way. But if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, therefore all things have become new. The only question is, are you living in the newness of life God's given you? So what's this newness of life? Well, who are the tax collectors and sinners? Well, sinners. You say, we're all sinners. We all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You're right. But sinner was a category in society. In other words, your very practice in everyday life was a sinful practice. I'll give you an example. Shepherds. Shepherds were sinners. Well, why were they sinners? Because where did their flocks eat? They grazed on grass that belonged to someone. Therefore, they were robbing that person of part of what they owned. Shepherds were sinners. Prostitutes. You say, well, that's an obvious one. Hang on. It's a, it's a, it's a label I'm putting out there. Be very careful. But maybe these people, these dear ladies that were in prostitution, had lost their livelihood, whatever the case is, and all they saw was one option of selling themselves. They were put into the category of sinners. It's very interesting that the very ones that were calling them sinners were probably the very ones that were taking advantage of their practice. Now, with that being said, we have tax collectors, and that's maybe the more potent of the two, because a tax collector was a very political position, and what I mean by that is the Romans controlled the, the, the world, basically, back then, all the way from modern-day England all the way over to India. That's a massive portion of the world. But how do the Romans control the world when they don't have that many people? Well, there's an answer. Through people's wallets. If we can have their money, we can have control over them. And so what do they do? They tax but they didn't tax like Denmark or Norway or Sweden that have like 70% taxes. They would tax up to 90% of what you had. And they could tax subjectively. In other words, whatever they wanted taxing, say, you're wearing a cross around your neck. We're going to tax you. Uh-oh, your cross is bedazzled. And so every one of those little dazzles, we're going to tax you on. They could choose whatever they wanted. And they could tax you on anything. How many wheels did you have on your donkey cart? How many donkeys did you own? How many teeth does your donkey have? Whatever you want to tax, you can tax. It was all their choice. And here's the other thing. Who were these people? Well, they were your family members. In other words, tax collectors were those that agreed to betray their own people. So in other words, they're, they're people you know. You're like, what? They became a tax collector? But hang on, I guess worse than that. If you don't pay your taxes, do you know who I turn you into? 
the police who are the Roman government. And what did the Roman government do to those that were turned in? What was their main method? Crucifixion. They would kill you. One man named Josephus said sometimes he would walk into a village and he would see up to 500 people being crucified at one time. Can you imagine? 500. Just all these people dying on crosses. Well, why? Probably a lot of them didn't pay their taxes. And you know what else they would do? If the man didn't pay his taxes, then they take his wife, they take his kids, and they use them for whatever they want to use them for. I'll leave it there to your imagination. You get the idea? They hate the tax collectors. They have a reason to hate them from a worldly perspective. If ever there was a reason to hate someone in a physical area of life, it was the scribes and Pharisees hating the tax collectors. But Jesus, he comes and he chooses to eat with them. Noah, come up here. I'm picking on Noah because Noah is probably most comfortable with, uh, with, with this thing. I, what I want to show you is, I want to show you, I will do it here in the, in the aisle because this is, don't worry, I'm not going to shove you. That, that goes back two years. It's just another illustration I used him for. He wasn't ready for. This is like a really gentle one. I lived in the Middle East for many years, and I want you to understand something about eating, okay? So, like, if we're eating, just have a seat here. We're eating, right? We're on the floor. We're eating on the floor. We're not on chairs. I know you're from Singapore, but, man, like, this is Middle East. Right now, we're Arabs, all right? So, we're eating. When we finish eating a meal, this is very common. I've had this many times in my life in totally normal living. The meal's over. After the meal's over, you know what oftentimes we do? We chill because we're already on the pillows on the floor. And I might come and I might just lay down like this. And now his knee becomes my pillow. And maybe he's leaning up against someone else. And you might think this is weird. This is Arab culture. Now, hang on a second. This guy just turned your dad in for crucifixion. He just turned your mother in to go become a sex slave for some Roman brigade. And Jesus is there And he's eating with them. He's receiving them. Do you see a problem with this? I see a problem with it. From a physical perspective, I see a huge problem with it. Thank you so much. Uh, What is that? It's that Christ is affiliating himself with the wicked. And so the scribes and the Pharisees are not happy. They're saying Jesus is eating and he's receiving. There's a difference between receiving and receiving. And being received. In other words, he's the one welcoming. They're not just welcoming him. He's welcoming them. Do you get get how the situation is messed up? Like from our worldly point of view? That's like ISIS coming in. Like they did in in many places. Let's Let's say they come to Florida. And they do to Florida what they did in Libya with Egyptian believers. And they take 21 Folks from a local church, and on the shores of Miami Beach, they behead them all, and it's posted on YouTube, same thing. And then if Jesus came to town, he would welcome those ISIS fighters over, so let's eat together. And after the meal, lean up against one of them and say, hey, tell me your life story. See the problem with this? We say, why are they not... Out in Colorado, at the highest security prison we have in our country. Why are they not on their way to the electric chair to be killed? And Jesus says, hang on a second. 
I'm not saying there isn't justice in this world between governments. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you don't see them the way I see them. That's all I'm saying. So let me tell you what I see. And this is what he's going to tell us. So now, let's go down to verses 8 to 10 and get ready. Jesus is about to tell you what he sees when he sees someone. This is crazy. Because it's going to tell you what he sees when he sees you. And it's precious. 8 to 10. What woman? Having 10 silver coins. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls to gather her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is almost abstract, like, all right, so Jesus is like, hey, well, let's picture a situation here. There's a woman, she has ten coins, she loses one, there are silver coins, she lights a lamp, she searches diligently, she finds a coin, she calls her friends, has a party. That's what I think of you. You say, all right, I got the story, but why is this so important? Hang on, it's going to change our perspective, I think. But I think we have to start out by asking questions. If we don't ask questions, I don't think we're going to get to where Jesus got here. And even then, uh, we're going to fall short. But the Holy Spirit will definitely lay on our hearts what he wants laid on our hearts. Okay, so here's the first question. Why is it a woman and not a man? Because if we interpret this just like, oh, you're valuable, God wants to find you, that interpretation makes no difference if it's a man or a woman. So is it important that it's a woman and not a man? How about this one? Is it important that there are ten coins? Jesus doesn't say eight. He doesn't say five. Now, God, I know you're the master storyteller and all, but, you know, if you wanted to make it more exciting, you would have made it two or one. And then it's dramatic. She's got nothing left. Or she's lost 50%. But ten, ten percent, come on. What's the big deal? Is it significant that there are ten coins and she only loses one? Or is that just a side factor in the story. Oh, how about another question? Is it important that there's silver coins? I think denarii, maybe some of your translations say, is it important? I mean, okay, silver. Why silver? Like it could be gold. It could be bronze. It could be some other form of metal. Why silver coin? Is that important? All right. Well, in some of your translations, it's going to say my coin. Oh, okay. Um, really? I've got coins in my life, right? You say you got coins in your life. That's a weird phrase. I have coins in my life. But the thing about coins is this. I don't call them my coin. It's not my quarter and my penny and my dime and my nickel. It's just dimes, nickels, quarters, and pennies. And I'm going to give them away to some attendant at a store. And then they'll probably give me some back. And we're going to exchange for the rest of our lives coins. But they're not my coin. In other words, I don't feel a possession to it. It's not this golem complex from Lord of the Rings. Right? Like, my precious. Like, it's not my precious. It's just a coin. But hang on. She has an attachment to it. Is that important? Or is that just an insignificant detail? All right, how about this? Like, in life, we lose things frequently, right? All right, so, like, I have a key in my pocket right now. Now, I might misplace my key. I might lose it. And let me just tell you that if I lost the key, I'd be like, oh, no. You know, I think, I think Calvin would be more upset if I lost the key because it actually belongs to him. But, like, uh, if I lost the key... I would, I would be looking for it. I'd be distressed that I don't know where my key is. But when I find my key, do you know what my first thought is not? 
My first thought is not, pull out my phone, look at my contact list, invite my friends, let's party. I lost my key, I found my key, yes! No. That's not my thought process. I found my key, I'm happy I found my key, let's move on with life now, I got my key. But she loses her coin, and she calls all her friends, and she holds a party. Do you think that's important too? You see, there's something in this story that tells us there's more than what we see at merely, uh, let's say, face value. So, I'm only stopping because you guys are looking, not because I'm distracted at all. I don't mind. I, I live in countries where kids roam the whole time. But if you're not listening, then there's no reason for me to talk. And that's for a few of you, all right? So now let's get back. So is that important? Is that important that she... Uh, that, that she calls this party and all her friends are there. So there's something else. Logic. Like it says in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Logic. Why don't they teach logic in these schools? Let's just look at logic in this chapter. She loses. Now listen carefully. She loses a coin in her house. Apparently, it's dark because she lights a lamp, which probably indicates it's night. If you lose a coin in your house, and the coin, and you're, and you're going to look, it'll still be there in the morning. No one's going to come and rob this lost coin in your house. If it's not in your house, it doesn't matter how many lamps you light, right? You're not going to find it. Why? Because it's not in the house. Is it significant that she lights a lamp and has to find it before the sun comes up? All these questions I want you to be thinking about because you're probably saying, well, it's probably significant if you're asking. But I think when we go to the Word of God, we need to ask these questions because I believe the Word of God is so miraculously woven together that every detail is important. And it's not that it's important for us to be smarter. It's important for us to know the heart of God that's behind the words that we're looking at. And so, let's look. What is God saying? It says, what woman? So immediately when it says, what woman having 10 silver coins? Do you realize everybody that's listening to the story is thinking something you guys are not thinking probably? Let me say it in 2017 language for North Americans. And tell me if you're not thinking something different. What woman having a diamond ring? What are you thinking now? Just that phrase. I didn't say much. I just said, what woman having a diamond ring? I know right away that most of you are thinking something to do with marriage, something to do with engagement, something to do with love, something to do with cost. This is exactly the way Jesus starts out when he says, what woman having 10 silver coins? He's referring to an engagement. Now, why is that important? Well, okay, back in their culture, they had a gift that the man would give the woman when they got engaged or um, as a gift before marriage. And it was, it was either a bracelet or a necklace, okay, one or the other. And the thing is, it could have 7, 10, or 12 silver coins. It always be silver coins, all right? And, and I've, I've heard firsthand from people that still um, are involved in these transactions and these, these practices. Okay, so with it, though. It's not like I just put like 10 coins on a necklace. It's like each coin has their own location on it, okay? So it's like if one's missing, it's going to be very evident that there's a coin missing, right? Like there's a gap because it was created to have that many coins. So 
a woman would have these adorning her, and when someone saw that necklace or saw that bracelet on her, just like if you see a girl with a diamond ring on her finger, you say, she's engaged, you would say that woman's engaged. In other words, that what, what you see represents something more. There's a relationship behind it. There's another detail, though. And this is a very important detail, and this is fascinating. If a woman was being questioned for faithfulness in that relationship, what they would do is they would remove a coin. They would take one off. In other words, there would be a symbol of she might be in a relationship, but that relationship's not good. Or there's questions about it. There's rumors swirling. Can you think of a woman in Scripture that probably would have had a necklace or a bracelet of this sort and maybe would have had a coin publicly removed except that she had a man who wanted to gently put her away named Mary? Now, when you think of this example, I want you to see that Christ is comparing us to those coins. And when he said, what woman... We have to realize something else, or we don't have to realize it, but it'll help us to realize it. Who's he talking to? He's talking to all the people, but specifically the Pharisees and scribes, right? And they had a prayer every day they prayed. Do you know what they prayed? They said, God, thank you that I am not a slave. Thank you that I am not a leper. Thank you that I am not a Gentile. And thank you that I am not a woman. They pray that every day. Thanking God. So when Jesus says, what woman? You know what they probably weren't thinking? They probably weren't thinking that God was going to put himself in the place of a woman in this story. God says, I, I'm that woman. Having ten silver coins. I, I, have a, I have a relationship that's worth everything to me. And that's why I'm coming to die for her. And what does he do? He starts to show what this value is. He says, I'm not letting the sun come up without making sure that my relationship is intact. In other words, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Remember in Luke chapter 9 with, uh, with Peter and John? And, and they're, they're not Peter and John. John and James. And they're ticked off because people are rejecting the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they say, shall we call fire out of heaven and destroy them all? And Jesus says, you don't know what mind you got. I didn't come to destroy. I came to seek and save those who are lost. And so what we see here is we see Jesus saying, look it, there's a reason for this search. And that search is ultimately because my relationship is not complete without you. In other words, I didn't just come for the Pharisees and scribes. I did come for you too. I love you too. But I came for the tax collectors and sinners. It's not about their actions. It's about my action. It's not about their past. It's about my past. It's not what they've done. It's what I'm going to do and what I have done. And so the Lord is showing the value every soul has in this little story. But, but let, let me ask you this question. Why do we miss the value? Why don't we see the way God sees? I, I would suggest a couple things. One is this. And... We do it without thinking, okay? I would love for you to take a minute or two and just think about how you're already doing it in your life. The first is we put a, a market mentality on people. I'll explain. When you go in a store, 
Somebody over here, uh, answer this for me. When you go in a store, what do you see on everything? Exactly. A price, a price tag, right? There's a number associated with it. And what we do oftentimes in this world is we put prices on everyone. I'll tell you how we do it. We do it in a lot of ways. We do it by what people wear. You might not intentionally, but you see somebody and you will associate value with the way they are dressed or the way they are not dressed. Maybe you see a body tatted up and you immediately put a value on that, good or bad. Maybe you see a bunch of piercings, good or bad. Maybe you see a suit and tie, good or bad. Because sometimes we think, well, there's someone that's not enjoying life. And others say, oh, there's someone that's got their life together. Like, someone's got a tattoo. There's someone that knows art. There's someone that has no taste. Like, you know, I mean, I'm just saying good or bad. We also associate what job they have. Maybe maybe they work in, in a field where you say, oh, wow, they must really not be very intelligent. And then someone else has a certain job. You say, wow, they really have it together. And when we start doing this and putting price tags on people, we have completely decided that we're going to ignore what God's word says and we're going to look at souls through the lens of society and not the lens of our Savior. Because he doesn't put a price tag on different people differently. You know the price tag he puts on you? Priceless. When God looks at a soul, he sees someone that his son, Jesus Christ, bled and died for. His back was ripped open for them. Nails pierced his hands and feet for them. Uh, uh, A spear went into his side for them. Uh, He had his beard ripped out for them. He was marred, scarred more than any man. He wasn't even recognizable as a man. That wasn't even the real suffering. The real suffering was the cup of God's wrath that he bore for them. Eternal damnation. Why do you say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time in Scripture when Jesus doesn't call God, Father. Only time he prays and says, my God, instead of my Father. Why? Because he suffered separation, so you don't ever have to be separated. If he says that's how valuable you are, who am I to come and say, oh, but I'm not so sure. That's one problem we have. We'll come back to that in a minute. The second problem that we have, uh, you can can call it whatever you want, but I'll just call it the wallet mentality. See, in my wallet, it might look like I have a lot of money, but I think it's all different countries, and that doesn't mean it's worth much. Some of it's like a few pennies. Yeah, that's a dollar. 500, that's worth a dollar. It's actually less than a dollar, about 80 cents. But I've got, I've got a few different currencies going on in here. And the thing is, though, it doesn't matter how much I have, I have a limited amount. So, like, if I give you 500 CFA, which will do you nothing in life, and then I give you my American money, and I give you my, my Thai bot, and if I give you my euros, it might be all we got going on there, yep. Eventually, I run out. And guess what? You don't, I have none, and you guys got none, because I gave it all out to these guys over here. Now, in life, we sometimes think of God this way, even though God doesn't think of us this way. In other words, we're like, all right, God's got a certain amount of love to give out. And that means that somebody like a Billy Graham or uh, somebody like a David Dyer, you know, they're pretty, pretty decent people. How about a Mother Teresa that helps the poor? You know what? 
man, God really will love them because they're good. Oh, but then we have a Bin Laden or we have a Kim Jong-un or whoever else you want in there. Yeah, they're pretty awful. I'm not so sure God loves them that much. You see, when we think of people that way, listen, God cannot love you more than he already loves you. Because it says in Jeremiah 31.3 that he's loved you with an everlasting love. He's loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. God's not going to love you more. You can enjoy his love more though. That's the difference. God does not love me any more than he loves a convicted pedophile or murderer in some Miami-Dade prison. God does not love David Dyer more than he ever loved Osama bin Laden. God loved us both the same. One of us just received his love. And sometimes we say, if God loves us, how can God condemn us? How can God uh, sentence us to eternity without him? Listen, it's not that God condemns us, it's that sin condemned us. Jesus Christ says in John chapter 3, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save the world. Why? You've already been condemned. Listen, can, can, can we just agree with one thing? Let's not have a double standard. If you're going to say this about humans, let's also say this about God with love. If I supposedly love someone, but I force my love on that person, do you know what we call it in this world? We call it abuse or rape or something else. And it comes from lust, right? But here's the thing. With God, when he doesn't force his love on us, we act like he hates us. That's not love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There's a choice involved in love. And that's why there's this relationship. He says, what woman having ten silver coins? But we miss it when we put a price tag on people. We miss it when we think God's got a limited quantity of love to show. And so... With these things in mind, we're going to go to one last passage because I'm running out of time. So there's a lot more I'd love to say on this topic. But go to Mark chapter 12. And in Mark 12, let's, let's conclude by seeing how Jesus might wrap up the subject. I think this is how he might wrap it up. Because he comes back to the whole idea of a coin again. And again, we have similar groups of people here. We have the scribes and the Herodians. And the scribes and the Herodians are not uh, friends, okay? Like, this is not like scribes and Pharisees. This is scribes and Herodians. you got to understand they hate each other, all right? So for a minute, let's just say you guys are the Herodians. You guys are the scribes. Or, sorry, Pharisees. Or we were Pharisees, right? My, my apologies. Um, yeah. Yep. Yep, so I just want to make sure it's the Pharisees and not the scribes. you got to get this right. Yeah, okay, Pharisees. So you're Pharisees, you're Herodians. You hate them, they hate you. But you got something in common. You both hate Jesus more than you hate each other. Got it? Simple, right? So, even though you hate each other, Herodians love Rome, you hate Rome, you want Rome overthrown, they want Rome to overthrow you. Got it. You guys really don't like each other, but there's something you hate more, and that's Christ. And so you say, let's come together. We can find common ground in our hatred. Let's get rid of Jesus. And we have a brilliant plan. Oh, this is foolproof, except that Jesus is God, but it's foolproof. We're going to ask Jesus a simple question, okay? 
We're going to say, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And then Jesus has nowhere to go. Because if he says, yes, you should pay taxes, you guys can kill Jesus because he's obviously not your Messiah and he's claiming to be. So you got him because he's not your savior. So get rid of him. All right, we got it. If he says don't pay taxes, well, you already know what the Herodians and what the Romans would do. We already talked about that. They'll kill him. They'll crucify him. So he's dead or he's dead. This is a good deal. So they come up to Jesus. and You can follow along. It starts in verse 12. And, uh, or, or, or 13. Um, and as they go through this, they come up to him and, uh, yeah, 13, uh, and they, they say, look, Jesus, we know you're a great teacher. You're from God. Nobody can do the things that you do unless God is with him. You see it. It says that I'm not making that up. And then they say, we just have one question for you, Jesus. Just one little question. Just a question. Here's the question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Like no big deal, right? Just give us your answer. And then Jesus. Throws him for a loop and he says, does anybody have a coin? Now, that wasn't exactly what they thought he was going to say, but they're like, yeah, we got a coin. All right, pull it out. So they pull out the coin and what does he say? He says, whose image and inscription is on that coin? Now, everybody knew the answer to that because in that day and age, they had the same image and inscription on every coin. In fact, the coins actually belonged, officially belonged to the one whose image was on it. And it was Caesar's image. So they said, well, Caesar's on the coin. He said, okay. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. Look at verse 17. What does it say? It says, they all marveled. They all marveled. You're not marveling. That means you're missing something. So let's not miss it. Let's go back. What does Jesus do? He says, does anybody have a coin? A coin, a coin. Keep in mind a coin. What woman having 10 silver coins? A coin. What Woman having a coin. Does anybody have a coin? Okay, I got a coin. Whose image is on that coin? Image, image, image. Whose image is on that coin? You, Genesis 1, 27. We were created in the image of God. Image of God. Okay, what woman? All right. Does anybody have a coin? I've got a coin. Whose image is on that? Caesar. If Caesar's image is on it, I don't want it because guess what I came for? I did come for coins. But I came for coins that have my image, not coins that have Caesar's image. So I don't care what you do with Caesar's image. Give it. Don't give it. Do whatever you do. Let the world do what the world does. But I came for what has value to me. And what has value to me is every coin that's stamped in my image because that's what belongs to me. And that's what I came to get back. What woman having ten silver coins whose image is on that coin? You are his and he is what you want, what he wants. This is what he came for. It's you. You're the treasure. But when we look out in the world today, do we see treasures that God came to redeem through the blood of Jesus Christ? Or do we just see random coins out there that we say, I don't know what to do with it. Do we give it to Caesar? Do we give it not? Like, what's up? No. The only place that that coin will find its home is back on the necklace, back on the bracelet of the one to whom they're betrothed forever, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Heaven celebrates when one coin is redeemed, when one soul comes back to know him, when we can start to see that this is the way God sees you and this is the way he sees me, then we can start to see this is the way he sees all those around us too. It changes every way we live. It changes the way I watch the news. It changes the way I read the newspaper. It changes who I 
Sometimes I have to just unfollow for a little while on Facebook because uh, they're, they're kind of uh, pushing me to try to hate people. And it's like, oh, let me just pray for them instead because that's going to do a lot better than reading these articles that they're posting because it's just spewing hatred in the church. Guys, let's see the way the world, let's see the way, let's see the world the way Christ sees the world. Let me just close with this. I've got three minutes, okay? I was given until 12.15, so I'm going to take these three minutes. I, I want to just tell you something more about what God sees. This is so precious. Over here, I like your um, throw here, the blanket you got. Like, And uh, I, I don't have mine on right now because I'm like speaking, but I usually wear a knitted cap on my head. And, and the thing about knitting is my grandma knits my caps for me. Part of the reason is because I don't have an abundance of hair, right? And so I get cold. Okay. So, but what, when my grandma knits these caps for me, you know that she, when she makes a mistake, she has to pull it out until she comes to her mistake, and then she picks back up and keeps knitting. So when I get my finished product, that cap I put on my head, it actually doesn't have any mistakes in it. It's perfectly made. And you know what it says in Psalm 139, verse 13? It says, you knit me together inside my mother's womb. And verse 14 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you understand this? Like, uh, please, I, I pull up on the Internet if you have to, the, the face of the person that you actually detest the most. Or go to your Facebook, and you're probably friends with them even though you don't call them a friend. Pull them up. Pull up somebody that you have animosity towards. I want you to stare at that face and I want you to just say, hang on. When God created that individual, he knit them together inside their mother's womb. He did not make one single mistake in making them. Yeah, they're a sinner because they're born in a sinful world, but he made not one mistake when he made them. And that means that they are the product that he wanted. And that's what he came to redeem. That person right there, exactly that person, the way they were created. And all of a sudden, we're going to start to see souls in the light of that coin, souls in the light of a relationship, souls in the light of value, souls in the image of God. And when I start to realize that he knit them together, that they're created in his image and that they're loved with an everlasting love, how can I not love them too? How can I not pour my life out for them too? How can I not be willing to give my life for them too? I'll tell you, the only way is if I don't see them the way he sees them. I want to encourage you, my friends. First of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is how he loves you. And he wants you to enjoy his love forever. He came for you. He wants you to know him and have a relationship with him. Not a legal deal. (laughs) No, no. The legal part was paid on the cross. Not not, not I have to obey him in order to have. No, you have. And then because you have, you live in his love. And for those of you that know Jesus Christ, and I think that's probably many of you, I want to challenge you today. Don't look at any soul through the lens other than what Jesus Christ says about them. Go home and do your homework. Seriously. Go watch the news tonight. And watch the news through the lens of Jesus Christ. Go talk to somebody you haven't talked to in a while and look at them through the lens of Jesus Christ. Whatever it takes. But remind yourself what is true. And make sure those lies that we've been believing are discarded as quickly as they come to our mind. Because Jesus says, what woman, having ten silver coins, and loses one, will not light a lamp and search diligently until she finds it. 
And when she has found it, she'll call her friends and say, I have found the coin that was lost. Even so, I tell you that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over many others who don't see their need for repentance. May we be those who think like our Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and true. Thank you that it's, it's good for 2017. Thank you that you haven't changed and that your love is eternal. And that you love us with an everlasting love. And God, we can't think this way because we try to. We, we can only think this way when your spirit guides us to look at things the way you look at things. So Lord, I pray that you would just take these things that were said and, and maybe help us forget everything we, 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 we can't remember right now. And just put on our hearts what we need to remember. That's it. That we might be changed leaving here and that the world might taste the love that we've already tasted. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.